Hello and welcome to episode 52 of Science Solutions and Sprinkles with Sarah Jane. This book uh, is titled Anti-Cancer. I'm going to walk you through how I came to read the book, who else should read this book, what I loved about it, some details in summary, kind of outline it for you, some of my favorite quotes from it, and really just talk to you about why reading a book called Anti-Cancer isn't just for people with cancer or who want to avoid cancer. So the book's actually titled Anti-Cancer, A New Way of Life. It's by David Servan Schreiber. Um, he is an MD as well as a PhD. And how I came to read the book is I was facing another biopsy, the third in my lifetime. Um, so kind of like a cancer scare. And I mean, I'm fine. I have a one year for a recheck, but I really wanted a refresher, uh, of nutrition, of the environment, right? I worked in the natural, I I have worked in the natural food industry for over 10 years. Uh, But when I was working for natural grocers, I was a lot more in tune. This was actually one of the books that was on my shelves. So when I first went to look for it, I actually checked my own bookshelves first because I've seen this book, Anti-Cancer, before. Um, Didn't find it, so I had to go buy it at Barnes & Noble. While there, um, this great worker helped me to find it. And while I was there, you know, he took me to the cancer section, which is a whole like two little shelves, not like two sections, like two shelves in a section. Um, so he pointed out where all the cancer books were. Uh, when we looked it up, by the way, anti-cancer is one word, even though on the cover it says anti and then cancer, that it is one word when we looked it up, um, no hyphen. So that's helpful if you're looking for the book. Who else should read this book? Um, You don't have to be avoiding cancer to read it. If you just want to be healthier and feel good, there are numerous tips backed by research. If you want to live longer, read this book. My next read and review will be Mark Hyman's new book, Young Forever. So really just diving in into mortality, right, with the last review of Being Mortal, reading about anti-cancer. I've also been listening to a book uh, titled How Not to Die. I take all of these nutrition books with a grain of salt. Obviously, my degrees in nutrition, it's a good reminder. It's a good time to go look at the research, at least for me. And that's what I'm going to kind of share with you. What I really loved about this book is it's my favorite combination of research as well as anecdotes. So it's an MD telling us real life patient stories, and that's super helpful to kind of drive the message home for me. I really liked the overarching message that you're more than your genes. So you're more than your genetics. Uh, It's nutrition and lifestyle that matter. And it reminds me of a a meme, and I'll probably share it on Facebook, but my aunt had sent it to me a couple of years ago and it said, you know, the problem isn't that diabetes and heart disease run in your family. It's that no one runs in your family. And it was kind of a joke because I was always a runner. I run less now, do more yoga. We'll get more into that as we talk about the anti-cancer body. But really the idea is that you are not just your genes. And, you know, you can control a lot with nutrition and exercise, you know, you can turn on and off genes. Um, To get into the details, kind of a summary of the book, I want to start with a quote that's at the beginning. And it says, I've always felt that the only trouble with scientific medicine is that it is not scientific enough. Modern medicine will really will become really scientific only when physicians and their patients have learned to manage the forces of the body and the mind that operate vis-a-vis, via vis, 
meta, medica trix nature. That is the healing power of nature. And that was from Rene Dubose, the, a professor of biology at Rockefeller University. Um, he was addressing the United Nations. And, you know, his lifetime was, you know, 1939 was when he had the first antibiotic for clinical use. And then he was also the founder of the Earth Summit of the United Nations in, the, in 1972. So well before my time, but very um, sound information, I think, still is that the medical community focuses on the things that they can prove scientifically and not necessarily in how the body works. And understanding how the body works and how nutrition can help your body, right? You are what you eat it, to a literal sense, I think is super helpful. He goes on to talk about Americans, and I'll share another quote from the book because I'm pretty sure he was speaking directly to me when he said this, um, talking about Westerners who continue to sabotage their immune defenses with too much stress and poor management of their emotions. And again, that was me, at least until you know a year ago or two years ago, really just not really good at managing my emotions, just taking on too much, being a stress case. And all of those things can cause damage to your body. It's not just diet. It is management of emotions. Another one of my favorite sections was titled, Nature Hasn't Read Our Textbooks. Um, and there he highlights the body's resources for and its potential for dealing with disease that we are still too often underestimating by modern science. Throughout the book, he has tables that highlight key points like what inhibits versus what activates immune cells. He has 16 pages of color called his like anti-cancer anti action pages. And in those pages, you'll find small changes you can make like chemicals to avoid, healthier food choices and others, some factors that influence inflammation, imagery of the anti-cancer plate, which is mostly vegetables. It includes herbs and spices, healthy fats, grains, and animal proteins. Animal proteins are listed as optional. Um, at least for me, the grains are optional. I do eat some animal proteins, but mostly vegetables. He has examples of high and low glycemic foods. Since blood sugar balance is related to most diseases, cancer is no exception. The most contaminated fruits and vegetables. So what you should try to buy organic versus what you can buy conventional. I actually did a whole blog post on this recently. You can see a reference on the blog of conventional versus organic. It's a good refresher for me as well when shopping. You know, asparagus doesn't have to be organic because of how it's produced. Um, it's lower risk. So, but you know, things like apples, you should always buy organic. So kind of those, those what to buy organic, what to buy conventional lists. Uh, omega-3 content. He has a table of omega-3 content in fish and seafood. I personally eat fish a few times a week. I also take a high-quality fish oil, and I also eat flax seeds in my smoothies every day. Classification of the effects of certain foods on specific cancers. So looking at the research, what specific foods help colon, brain, lung, prostate, breast, right, the big ones in the Western world. The top of the list, almost every list, has garlic, Brussels sprouts, leeks, scallions, and beets. And uh, Brussels sprouts is the one that always gets me. And I want to tell you this quick antidote. I was getting my tonsils out when I was, I want to say, 23 or 24. And I ate a ton of Brussels sprouts. I was like, what has a lot of vitamin K? What's going to help with my clotting so I can heal really fast from this? And they took my tonsils out 
again, I was pretty old for having my tonsils out, but I was having a lot of throat issues and I didn't bleed a lot. I only took the pain medication for like less than 24 hours after my surgery. And I was, you know, back at school in two days, um, college, uh, finishing up at Cal Poly. And my doctor called me a Navy SEAL and he's like, what did you do? And I was like, I ate a lot of Brussels sprouts, every food that I could think of that was going to be high in vitamin K to help my clotting factor. And so I tease up Brussels sprouts and it should be Brussels sprouts for Popeye, you know, instead of spinach, but, um, really good for you. And, um, again, I've got a personal story that I know that eating a lot of them was helpful for me in the anti-cancer action area. He also has omega-3 versus omega-6s, you know, how the balance is in our body. We technically get um, too much omega-6s typically, so it's not something that you need to supplement with. I remember a couple years ago, someone coming to me with this new, I just got an omega-3 supplement and they showed it to me and it was from Trader Joe's and it was an omega-3, 6, and 9 supplement. So it's basically an essential fatty acid or a fatty acid supplement. Um, but it had threes and sixes. And I was like, no, 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 no. The point is we're taking threes to get to offset the sixes that we get so heavily from our diet. Um, but that is lost to some people. So it's getting more omega-3s because omega-6s are readily available everywhere. He also has a MET table, so a metabolic equivalence, basically the energy spent per activity measured by these METs, metabolic equivalents. So you can see what you need to get increased metabolic equivalence each week. He also has his anti-cancer shopping list. And finally, a summary of the detoxified diet. So that's like a color section within the book that I thought was really helpful. I also pulled out some quotes, uh, more quotes from the book that I like before I'll get into the chapter by chapter um, summary, how the book is kind of weighted. But he points out things about how we study cancer, similar to how we study geriatrics, it's very underfunded when we talk about nutrition because there's no drug to sell. He says, quote, unfortunately, the commonly held notion that studies on mice don't prove anything about humans is true, i.e. it's really hard to study diet and cancer because human trials are expensive and there's no monetary benefit to someone like Big Pharma, right? There's nothing to sell. Um, We're not actually... despite the fact that we're going to help people if we know what foods to eat, it doesn't make money. You're never going to sell enough Brussels sprouts to pay for the research that would go into proving that they are good for you. Another thing I knew that was kind of reaffirmed is that doctors don't know much about diet and what they do know is oversimplified. So to get my degree in nutrition, I had to have a full year of advanced metabolism I was equivalent to a pre-med student in anatomy and physiology. I also had to take biochem, a bunch of microbiology courses. I really just wish doctors were trained more in nutrition and knew more about how food can be medicine. He quotes Upton Sinclair saying, It's difficult to get someone to understand something when his salary depends on his not understanding. And now while this could be referenced to what I was just talking about, doctors not knowing about nutrition, right? A doctor needs you to be sick to come back to you, uh, to come back to them so that they can treat you. If you're not sick, they can't treat you. Um, But this was actually mentioned in a section talking about chemicals and chemical usage in the environment. Um, 
because when a chemical producer doesn't want to study something about how chemicals may be bad because that would mean they're out of a job. He goes on to say, on the other hand, we all have the power to take our own precautions. We can choose what we consume. And to me, that's really, you know, voting with my dollars. I can choose organic. I live in the Pacific Northwest, and I think it's awesome that in the Pacific Northwest, organics are very closely priced to conventional. When I go to my local Winco, um, it is not very much more to buy organic, and it makes it an easy choice for me. And it's because so many people choose organic here. If you go to other places, organic is more expensive or, you know, sometimes two and three times the price. And it's because there isn't a high demand. The more people demand it, the more the price can come down um, because there's, there's, you know, less turnover on produce and, and things like that. So I'm going to go through a real quick outline of the chapters, kind of give you a weighted outline. I'm going to tell you how many pages are in each chapter just to kind of highlight the areas of emphasis in the book. So chapter one is only six pages. It's one story and it's kind of introducing his story. Number two is called Escaping Statistics. That's only seven pages. Three, Danger and Opportunity, eight pages. Four, Cancer's Weaknesses. He highlights a lot of research. This one section is Cancer's Weaknesses is about 24 pages long. Chapter five, Breaking the News, about four pages. Six, the anti-cancer environment. He spends 40 pages with this big focus. He gives lots of warnings about chemicals. He talks about cell phones. But the anti-cancer environment is all about taking care of what surrounds you, taking care of our earth. Chapter seven, the lessons of a relapse, four pages kind of between anti-cancer environment and anti-cancer foods. The anti-cancer foods section, obviously, as a nutritionist, is my favorite section, um, and it's 42 pages long. I won't get into all the details, but I will skip back to this. The anti-cancer mind is 39 pages. That's chapter 9. So again, a big focus on the anti-cancer mind. We go chapter 10, diffusing fear, which is 10 pages. The anti-cancer body, which is 13 pages, right? a little bit more emphasis, 12, learning to change, six pages, and then the conclusion is nine pages and kind of has his summaries and tips. So real quick, back to anti-cancer foods. I uh, can't get into all the details, but I'll provide some highlights. And the info and research for each of these subjects could be its own blogger podcast. So green tea, right? Getting the EGCG, the epigallocatechin gallate number three. Um, that's an antioxidant and detoxifier found in green tea. You do not find it in oxidized teas like black tea or oolong tea. It is very much more in the Japanese green tea than in even in the Chinese green tea. I personally drink a variety with matcha and toasted rice, olives and olive oil, turmeric and curry, ginger, cruciform vegetables, garlic, onions, leeks, shallots, chives, Vegetables rich in carotenoids, so those colors are beets and things like that. Tomatoes and tomato sauce, we're looking for the lycopene. Um, it needs to be heated to really release the lycopene, so canned tomatoes are great for that. Soy, uh, the benefits of isoflavones, the warning there is people like me, I'm allergic, but also it's not for everyone because it should be something that's consumed from a young age, so cultures that. 
consume it from a young age, see the most benefit versus me being 30 years old and, and introducing soy. He touches on different herbs and spices, seaweed, berries, plums, nectarine, peaches, citrus, fruit, pomegranate juice, does talk about red wine with food in small amounts. So one glass a day, you know, four ounces max um, is what I do with food, with a meal, dark chocolate, be careful about heavy metals, but it does have some benefits. Vitamin D can help turn on and off genes. We all know the importance of vitamin D omega-3s, which are touched on, obviously, and then probiotics. All right. Key takeaways for me. Take care of your terrain, your terrain being yourself, your body. If you're wanting to be anti-cancer, pay attention to your environment, your exercise, your nutrition, all of it. The second big one for me was that cancer tends to be a rich people's disease, at least in developing countries, not necessarily in Western ones. But as we eat more processed foods, rates of cancer increase. Along with that, cancer feeds on sugar. It's best to avoid it. It talks about different, you know, even just dermatological studies where people who don't eat refined sugar don't have acne. Super interesting. A lot of information on epidemiology and epidemiologists will never be sure on diet disease. So we really have to to stop waiting on them, and eat foods that make us feel good. He really talks about living life well, and I'm going to share with you a quote or a passage from the book uh, as I wrap up this podcast. And he says, Today the word cancer is no longer synonymous with death, but it suggests its shadow. To many patients, and it was to me, this shadow is an occasion to think about your life, about what we want to do with it. It's the occasion to begin to begin living in such a way that the day we die, we can look back with dignity and integrity, that on the day we can say farewell with a feeling of peace. I found that realistic attitude in almost all the people who have survived their cancer well beyond the statistics they were given. Yes, I may die earlier than foreseen, but it is also possible that I'll live longer. Whatever happens, I'm going to live my life as well as I can from now on. It's the best way to prepare for whatever happens. And I think that's so inspiring. And kind of like I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, you know, my third biopsy in my lifetime at 37, it's, it, it has definitely given me pause and time to reflect with my family and some of the life changes that I've made over the last year and really appreciate the life that I'm living right now. In his conclusions, he talks about, as well, the importance of terrain. He talks about the effects of awareness, as well as the synergy of natural forces that we tend to ignore when we look to modern medicine. I want to encourage you to pick up this book and read it. It's a quick read. It's a good read. Again, lots of research, lots of anecdotes. Overall, I loved this book and hope to read it again maybe next year to kind of give the refresher And also make sure that I am living my life and eating these superfoods. The more variety you have, the better is another big takeaway. So hopefully this can act as inspiration for you. But this is Sarah Jane with Science Solutions and Sprinkles. Check out the blog, like the podcast, connect with me where you can.